Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. to bringing design closer. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organizations to become more human-centered in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Can you believe it? This is HCD is almost five years old, folks, and we've been creating content regularly for that period of time. Now, if you really want to help us out, please leave a review for us and wherever it is you're listening. Those lovely algorithms love those reviews and it helps us grow our community. Every little helps. And even if you don't go and leave a review, you can go one better by telling the people that you work with or are friends with about the podcast. Now, in this episode, I speak with Emily Buick, former head of service design for Proximus in Belgium. We speak about the evolution of service design internally in Proximus, the pitfalls and the pieces that worked for Emily and the team in there. We chat about life after Proximus and where to next and how they're applying service design approaches to their own life and career. It's a fun episode and I think you'll enjoy it. Let's jump straight in. Emily, brilliant to have you here on Bringing Design Closer. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, maybe just start off. Will tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and what you do. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, I'm very delighted to be there. Kind of my first podcast here. Well, I'm talking to you from Belgium, the wonderful city of Ghent. Um, I used to be head of service design at Proximus, which is uh, the incumbent telco operator. But now I'm actually um, living and enjoying a career break and thinking what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Well, that, that that sounds exciting. I think most of the world at this stage is probably kind of going, what does the future look like after the last couple of years of, you know, difficulty and hell of being uh, isolated in, in our houses and stuff? But let's let's start talking because when you were at Proximus, there was an incredible transition um, that happened over maybe 15 years in the organization that we're going to be focusing our conversation on today. Um, and we'll come back to a little bit more around where you're at in your own life and you know what you're taking probably from the designer's mindset and how you're redesigning your life so forth. But um, one, one thing that I did notice when I was you know researching for the podcast was that there was kind of a linear line that went through the the design maturity, I guess, in Proximus. And I'd love to tap into that a little bit more if you're open to it. So m- maybe start off, tell us what your, um, wh- where, where design started to enter the strategic conversation in Proximus. Yeah, with great pleasure, because that linear line, I, I also walked on it personally. So I think we lived it <laughs> yeah. together, maybe. <laughs> Tripped on it probably as well. <laughs> Tripped on it, yeah. So yeah, I've, as you can see uh, on my LinkedIn now, right, I worked for 16 years at this wonderful company and um, 
I started out as a management trainee, actually figuring out um, what I was going, what I was going to love most at working at a big company. Right, I started in the consumer mm. business unit. I've always been in the consumer business unit. Started more in sales and marketing functions, exploring that, loving it. And then the most intense period for me was when I entered the product and solutions department, where I started working as a portfolio manager on the the mobile products we had a huge disruption in the market and i started yeah that was the first actually role i was really involved in some kind of product design to say it as such right we created the value proposition the pricing competitive mm-hmm. analysis etc and uh, i did such a great job that i could stay and take on even the team where we didn't only manage the portfolio manager but also the product managers that then defined what the product should look like etc and then I kept on evolving as it's a company where you can um, evolve yourself and switch jobs easily and learn and get coached and managed. I switched more to the marketing side of things where mm-hmm. I went more into what we called at that time marketing design. We were quite uh, marketing led to say it as such. It was really a focus of our CEO to bring the customer in already at that part it was really like in the middle of my career. Um, and they were like, yeah, we need to bring the customer more in. How can we do it? A big focus on customer research and really putting the marketeers at the heart and the core of the activities. And then marketing mm-hmm. design was like a really big word of we have to create great value propositions that start with the customer and do a lot more and even more. We always had done. There's a central market intelligence department Uh how can we create even more powerful value propositions? And there I got in touch with the craft of creating value propositions okay. after knowing how to create portfolios, pricings, and more the analytical and yeah. uh, financial part of things. And then the after... The pre-service pieces, as we'd probably refer to them as. And the analytical so, and like more business design, if you can call it as such. So I went from business to like marketing, value proposition design. Okay. Can I just ask you, in, in that world there, like in the marketing design world, um, what were your objectives from a business perspective when you were in the marketing design world? Because you, you talk about having amazing value propositions. Um, what were the goals from the organization at that stage? Well, to keep on attracting customers, um, new customers, retaining uh, existing customers and like staying performant in the market, right? Because as we were the incumbent, the dominant player, you already have a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. How can you keep on gaining them? And we were uh, attacked by other brands, of course, that all all wanted a a piece of the market. How can we Mm -hmm. keep on evolving and innovating? Because yeah, our products were quite perceived as uh hygienics right how can we keep on innovating so that our customers they chose for Mm. us for quality and all the things that our brand stood for how can we keep on innovating and adding extra uh value for them and going beyond the pure uh telco so it was about retaining customers gaining new ones and creating extra value and really uh, dazzling them at another level at that stage when you were called a marketing design um role i guess um for want of a better word was service design was service design a conversation that was already had at that stage because that was probably 2016 2017 um in those years where was service design in the conversation not with those terms i would say that the term service design was was really um absent 
but uh, hmm. it was more called design thinking. At a certain point, and it was, okay. it was even before that, um, when design thinking started hyping all over the world, uh, we were always in contact across the ocean, also what's happening in the United States, etc. We dove in as a company on how, what is design thinking and how can it help us in that will mm-hmm. to become more customer-centric. And so we got help uh, from consultants on how can we train like everyone almost in the company on design thinking, the mindset, the, the process. I don't like to call it a process, but bon, yeah. it is a process in, in some kind of way. And so um, we started building this community, but it got born on a corporate level where people on a voluntary basis could get um, kind of certified as a design thinking ambassador. And then those people were mm. put into projects like we're going to help you be more user-centric thanks to the design thinking mindset and the processes. And it really helped. It was like, yeah, the first tangible part where service design, even if we didn't call it like that, got integrated into company and introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and where people started seeing the power of iterating and talking to customers, we did. But regularly what we did was like at the first, at the start of a project, you know, mm-hmm. the exploratory phase, do research. And then before we're going to launch, do it again, but not enough in between, you know. And that was the first shift, like, ah, oh, we should do it more regularly. How can we improve? Because if you only measure mm-hmm. at the end and you're in front of launching, well, that's a bit difficult to then still pivot. Absolutely. When we were chatting earlier, we talked about um, the restructuring and the reorg of, you know, rethinking how the organization works to produce services. Um, where did that happen in, in the in the life journey of where service design entered the organization? Was that something that happened in around that time you were doing the marketing design? Because you, in my experience, it tends to happen like you, you might work in one of those roles and you're like, actually, there's more to this than just creating a value proposition we need to exactly. think holistically like what i didn't tell you jerry is that next to the marketing design team there was also mm-hmm. a customer journey design team even ah, okay on, at the same time at the same time even on two levels within the marketing uh, department there was a customer journey team who was like working in tandem with everyone who was building creating the value propositions to think about what will the customer journey look like you know what will the experience be and how can we holistically look at it not only from the technicalities but throughout our touch points and that was already ongoing as well and even on a corporate level uh there was a customer experience department being set up that looked at what we called the macro customer journeys like yeah. what are the big sub journeys? Um, the sub, what are the big moments in the life of a, a telco customer that are mm-hmm. really important to um, score on? You know, becoming a new customer, for instance. So it's yeah. agnostically from the products and the value propositions, but more in terms of the phase and the life cycle of the customer. And those teams were also being built in like you're responsible for becoming a new customer, customer journey. Measuring its performance, improving it, uh, being data analytic, etc. So there were, I would say, it was an organic journey. There were different, there was a huge focus from the top, like we have to be customer centric. Then there were initiatives all over popping up to kind of do it. Mm. But even then, the, the term service design wasn't born um, yet. Mm. And then afterwards, um, we, we got into the a huge... Um, ambition of becoming better in digital 
uh, as a telco. And then I got the opportunity again to shift jobs and to head a team that was called Digital Journey Redesign. You know, and yeah. those that team of journey designers got transformed into having more of a digital focus <laughs> and improving very tactically key digital journeys to improve the conversion and the experience, but really with a tactical mindset of how can we improve fast our digital yeah. performance. So and then, when, when you're thinking like that, Emily, like there was, there was probably other dependencies in the organization that um, would have been required to have been reintroduced into the organization, like how user experience inter interrelates with service design, how even exactly. business analysts or product management. So I know from service design perspective, we love to talk about, and then we did some evaluation on the current state, and then we did some prototyping. But like, you know, and I know an awful lot of this is, you know, reliant on so many other parts of the organization to come together. Exactly. What were the challenges from uh, if you can bring your mind back at that stage because you're starting to open up a kind of worms in an organization where you're saying well we're going to have to restructure parts of the team so i need access to some of these skills in order to make this happen can you remember what those biggest challenges were yeah because then at that point i was starting to get spaghettis in my head as well you know because yeah. i had in all these different roles I, I in the meantime i knew the company inside out how it worked i knew which buttons to push and how to send out people to get their results mm -hmm. but then i was in a leadership role and i remember our our vp of human capital saying yeah emily but do you ever you have to think about how we can further improve and i started really doing that and the challenges are of course that you are talking about people's jobs you know people are responsible for something and if all of a sudden someone comes and say oh we can do it differently or better even if your intent is good yeah um i wouldn't say it feels like an attack but it's only human to to feel mm. like that right um you're doing a bad job some you're, you're yeah. not working well and, and that's not what you're saying but it's like oh we can do better and you're enthusiast but those other people have been doing their jobs for years in a good way yeah. and then you have to find ways to start a dialogue like don't you think we can do better? And can you can you help me um, in doing that? You know that was for with me the that, biggest challenge. You're asking people to, yeah. but you're asking people to change something that's really intrinsic and to move from a safe state of mind into an unsafe state of mind, to move out of that consciousness into the uncertainty. And for me, when you read an awful lot of service design books or listen to service design podcasts, it's not given enough credence. The fact that living with this level of discomfort at that stage you refer to it as spaghetti in your head and i love that i think that's a really it's a really nice visual of what it, what it's like where you're like i know the method i know what's meant to happen but when i go into work on a monday and i have to spend four hours going through an inbox of emails and then i get an hour to focus on it I'm really interested in in what it looked like at that stage. Would would you be able to paint a picture um, so people can get a, a good snapshot of the reality of what happens at this stage? You mean in terms of how we worked and the different roles yeah. we had that contributed? How to you it? got people to do things like there was obviously, when I say I'm obviously, there's an assumption there, conversations at the executive level about, hey, you know, we need to rethink something bigger than just giving us a couple of resources we need to look at how we how we function as a unit as one 
Yeah, totally. And um, discussions were already going on or pilots at the time when we were working on digital transformation, we were also piloting agile ways of working, not only mm. in development, but really in the business teams, you know, even the marketing teams, let's say creating a value proposition. How can you do that in an agile way in a multidisciplinary team with the right roles and the right profiles around the table? So I would have to say it wasn't really a fight. It was a really organic evolution where everyone saw that mm. we, we could still improve and um yeah we didn't have to have a large fight and then we we reorganized again and like and everyone like organically felt ah we have a little bit too much roles involved in the product design process and we had portfolio managers uh product mm. managers marketing designers and then we had uh, the ux people on the other side and the customer journey designers and then the macro customer journey designers and we started yeah. to naturally re-streamline. And as I was involved in the discussions and I, yeah, I started studying myself, you know, reading your wonderful book of this is service design doing among others. Not my book, but Mark, Adam and Marcus. Mark and um, Adam, and Jacob. yeah. And yeah. Um, it was really a, a true source for me, but not only, but I started reading like crazy on um, how can we make it more concrete for our company? You know, it's a personal track mm. uh, setting up a design department. It's like you have to look at what's your design maturity as a company. Yeah. How does your process look like? So I really for myself started to look at, well, and we had these discussions as we were talking about Agile, like how is our process looking like of product design? Who is contributing to it? Mm. Uh, do people have enough responsibility? Do they feel accomplished enough? Where are the friction points? And then voila, I just personally came up with a model where um, we went for a partial competence center on business and service design, what we called it as such, where we kind of merged the role of portfolio managers, a role that I used to do, um, marketing mm -hmm. designers, a role that I used to do, and the customer journey designers, the digital journey redesigners, and we rebaptized them and like, guys, together you're going to accomplish the role of business and service design. And this means okay. creating value propositions, including the end-to-end -end customer experience that that value proposition will have. Yeah. And then we started to look at design more holistically, like it doesn't stop at business and service design. We need the digital designers, the UX designers, the content designers, the UI designers mm. to join the conversation. I don't know if you've seen the report, Jerry, of, Digi of McKinsey Digital that they recently yeah. published on design orgs. And I was so um, happy to see that what I felt and what we did was really well articulated in that report with hard numbers behind it and, and great research yeah. where they said, like, it's really important that the business side, and I'll call it here the business and service designers, learn mm. more about digital design and what, what does it take to be performant in digital, but also <coughs> the other way around. Uh, digital designers, yeah. UX designers are great craftsmen, but it's really valuable for them also to understand the craft of business and service designing, getting mm. closer, joining the discussion from the beginning, because it wasn't always the case. They were yeah. in the past only asked to do the digital design of the value proposition and like bringing those two worlds together and looking at design holistically even ended in the setup of a whole design chapter that didn't only have business and service design, but also UX and UI design and content design in it absolutely it's it's interesting but i want to ask you a little bit more around um the shift in mindset because telcos historically have been great at creating 
standalone products that sit within the broader service ecosystem. And the shift from moving from a product-centric view into a service-level view is something that organizations at that scale find difficult. So um, what was that like? And also, was this blue sky or green fields? Was it a case of um, thinking from a reductive mindset and identifying the areas within the product-centric view of the organization? Were, Were they stripping those things out? Or are they just creating a whole new blue sky system? I think you, I would say you have a little bit of both because it stays a large mm. organization and I worked in one business unit. Um, so you had a, you still had people that were more product centric and others that were more service centric. We had a combination of both mm. and it's, yeah, I can only say it was a very organic journey and that you had a hardcore of believers that started yeah. to, um, evangelize the things towards others and then just by instead of you know talking about it just proving the value Hmm. made as such that you got a kind of oil stain that is enlarging in the organization so i think you still have a little bit of both because it's a large organization but it was like a combination a combination what a word is that combination is a great word though (laughs) oxford i want to call oxford can we get a new one into the dictionary please (laughs) (laughs) It was a combination of, I would say, a bottom-up movement, but also yeah. a top-down passion of, guys, we need to do better, we need to innovate if we want to keep on existing. So I think it's passion that drove a lot of people and change, and not everyone was on board, but great things um, were, and I would say are, <laughs> happening. I don't know if that answers what was your the- question, Jerry. Yeah, and absolutely, like, and and I agree, it probably is a little bit of both that needs to happen, like, you know, but typically organizations are really great at coming up with a new shiny thing and then they end up servicing both worlds and I'm like, hey, you know, it's one and the same, like, you know, um, what were the main challenges from a business perspective? What what were the the areas of concern, if you can bring your mind back to that stage where, you you were moving into the the role of I think your title at that stage was head of digital journey redesign, so then you moved into the head of business and service design. So what were the pieces that the executives and even the bottom up were asking the questions? Where was the hesitancy? What what were the pieces that they were most kind of concerned about at that stage? I think there was a fundamental belief uh, that we had to iterate more and talk to customers. But the most difficult thing that I lived was um, the deadlines and planification. It's really hard to plan for design, right? It's a messy process yeah. and it's like, but when you're going to be finished with your first phase, um, yeah, it's a big company. So you need to plan, you need to organize your budgets, they have milestones and that. For me, that was a big friction part of, um, you know, if you want to have, give the liberty and the freedom to designers, you have to give them time, but they don't always have yeah. it. And you understand that you're in a business, you have to be performing and sometimes you have to deliver stuff at a certain time. So it's a difficult balance it's hard. to find. It's Can really I- hard. And then you get into old habits, right? Ah, then you get controlling and we're just going to do this because, well, experience says this and then you decide and then people at the yeah. bottom get frustrated because like, oh, if you just would give me a little bit more exploration time, we could do even better. So that was a balance to find. A balance. Yeah. I, I was speaking to my doctor 
recently um this is going to be it seems like a segue but trust me i'm going to bring it back around to relevancy in a second and you know i still think they don't know what i do for a living and they 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 i think they listen to the podcast as well which is even funnier but um i said about timelines and deadlines and trying to get stuff done they go well that's impossible it's the same way as like when somebody comes into me and they're sick and i give them medication which is what design effectively is trying to do in an organization and they said we can't give a, a deadline or a timeline when you're going to heal you know every project and every you know instance is different and every person is different so that's one of the pieces that a lot of organizations struggle with is those hard deadlines and that's not what agile is about it's like this kind of control framework where organizations sit and they're going to go okay it's three week sprints you're going to have it done in three weeks and then it puts all these added pressures on the, the yeah. designers and the development teams and they crack and or like going back you know if you get to a certain point i remember a point where we did research and how we had a really cool finding but it like in the ideal world you have to go back and, and to the drawing table and that is really a hard thing to do if you have this pressure for commercial performance um so yeah. yeah it's hard and then another one is and that's why i was so happy with the the mckinsey report because business people love numbers you know it's well, how do you prove do the they? value <laughs> they do <laughs> and it's important you heard it here first folks <laughs> how do you prove the value of what you're doing and sometimes yeah. you get into fluffy conversations and like yeah or design thinking sometimes has a bad name oh it's just sticking post-its on the wall and things like that you know um, so it, how did you get around those conversations? I tried to find a balance between evangelizing, talking and being passionate, because if you get a podium mm. to do that and you have rapport and people hear you and you, you have to like find supporters um, in the system that support for you. Mm. That's one thing, but you can't just keep on evangelizing and talking, right? Then the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And then, yeah, just still choosing your battles and sometimes fight for a project and say, no, here we're going to go really, we, there we need more time. And if you choose the right one where you feel the pressure is maybe a bit lower and then you um, you really stand for and say, here we're going to take more time and see what it gives. And if they can then see what it actually gives, they just prove it by doing it instead of talking about it i would say was there any um exercises in bringing the the executives into the project in terms of getting their hands dirty a little bit more to feel the clay so to speak um or were they just observers um yeah they were mainly still observers there was still a tendency and a willingness what they did do was go out in the field and talk to customers or go to the mm. shop so that was really Again, I think the willingness uh, is there and the mindset, but then really getting into the projects, no, that's something we didn't really do, to be honest. From your perspective, when you were assumed the role of head of service design, was it um, was there other heads of UX and heads of design as well? Where do they report into? Yes. Um, so I reported in the marketing department because, as I said, we were really marketing-led. Yeah. And then we had, indeed, a head of uh, UX and digital studio that was reporting more into another, uh, yeah, into the digital department, I would say. Okay. So what was the complexities around that? Because there's, there's two resistance points there. 
Yeah, because that department got uh, put into place to, like, you know, manage the digital platforms and the digital channels. And they had a kind of history and identity and a, a mm. core mission of uh, bringing digital to life and to a certain performance. But then at a certain point, digital gets important for everyone, right? Even for marketeers. Yeah. And then we kind of outgrew, I guess, that structure. But there also, organically, it disappeared. And then with the reorgs, um, that got tackled and joined together. But indeed, um, it's like we said, for people that have um, a certain job that do it with a lot of passion and acumen and knowledge, also a change process uh, that they had to go through. If someone c comes and knocks on your door, I think we can do yeah. even better. Um, that's not always easy, of course. So fr from your time um, at Proximus, what, what were the pieces that you look back on as being your biggest achievements? Um, yeah, for me, it's really setting up that design department and like redesigning the way we do design, bringing in human-centric design in a pragmatic way, I would say, mm. losing the fluffiness and like really, yeah, I had this flipping point in my career where, as I told you in the beginning, I was like focused on mastering things and mastering jobs and then it flipped yeah. towards, ah, how can we change it, improve it? And also the humans became more and more important. And I realized that, yeah, without the people and their buy-in into the story, and if you're not able to build strong teams, you have nothing. You cannot just talk and evangelize, but you need the people also to um, do it with you and do it for you. I think that would be my biggest proud. Also, when I when I left the company, was the feedback on, oh, you made such a difference for us in building strong mm -hmm. teams. And at the same time, I found my passion in life of um, uh, designing. Uh, it's really something mm -hmm. that fits my character and my personality. So it's an achievement for the company of uh, creating a design department. But for myself, it was an achievement mm -hmm. of finding my passion and my, my skill and talent in life uh, for design, but also for people. Because I was always focused yeah. a lot on my brain. And I thought, yeah, you're smart, and yeah, it's the brain that, that makes the difference. But actually, yeah. I'm. I realized that Think I love of. people also a lot, and that um, I got great feedback on how that yeah. went. So not only my brain, but also the empathy part and the people part is something that really uh, ticks my boxes. Is that a good? Yeah. Thing? So you're at a point now where you've you've left uh, Proximus, and you're you're now at the point of reimagining it um all again like you know which which is a very it seems to be a very common thing at the moment um especially speaking to people and through the this is hate cd network where people are reimagining what they're going to do for the next decade or beyond or the next parts of their lives um what does that look like for you have you what have you landed on and what was the journey like of coming out of a pretty corporate world um tell me what that was like Ah, Jerry, I can recommend to everyone, if you have the time to do it, to do it. It was um, an amazing journey. The first phase was like just taking Euphoria. breaths. <laughs> Sorry? Euphoria? Euphoria. <laughs> Freedom. No, um, it was really realizing um, how hard you work and at what, what pace we live Um I guess everyone knows it, right? And it was really like I felt exhausted. Um, yeah. Doing nothing is something we are not used to do. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, 
nerve-wracking even in the beginning to like learn to do nothing and taking real actual rests because that's really important to like land on your feet and like be become yourself again and not just someone that works and then the second phase for me was like the (laughs) the acknowledgement of oh my god my job really overly defines who I am because if you don't work anymore it's like what is still my worth and what am I doing here (laughs) your purpose uh your your self-worth yes and I'm like ah it could be healthier um the balance but well, that's fine. We left it at that. And then, um, yeah, it's amazing to just go back to basics and feel what's happening to you, I would say. And then um, I really put a focus on, yeah, finding that back, uh, who you are as a person mm. and acknowledging that loving your work, it's it's fine. Um, but it has to be the combination of, yeah, I had a discussion with someone. Is it okay to love to work and to let it define you? I'm still um, thinking about that one. Still don't have a, a clear answer. But for the moment, I think it does. But then I went back to basics on who am I and what do I love? And everyone needs to have a purpose, right? And I was like, yeah, what's your purpose? Where do you still want to go? And mm-hmm. I started to do some crazy stuff also. Like I have a good life and I had this urge more and more. I turned 40 uh over a year ago of wanting to give back to the world. Um, and I also have a big creative side that I realized that after 16 years in corporate life was really totally asleep. And I started chasing a dream of becoming a cleanie clown. I don't know if you know what that is. There's an organization in Belgium called cleanie clowns and they send professional clowns into hospitals to ah. um, towards sick children that are really sick for a long time to yeah give them a nice time and help them in their suffering or just you know lighten up their day in their long stay in the hospital That's super and I cool. found out that it's not just you know it's not just about people asking what do you do you blow up balloons and you put funny faces is that what you do then <laughs> but you have to actually have to get you can get certified as a clown Jerry I didn't know that uh, and I started looking for courses to do that. So um, to really like, there are courses to learn about the art of clowning. And it's not about blowing balloons, but it's about getting into the character of a clown, daring to do stuff that you cannot do as an adult, and then learning. It's pure improvisation. It's like theater. And like, yeah, it really helped me to reconnect with my creative side, which is really, really super nice mm-hmm. and the course is still till end of year and if i get certified i hope to like keep on doing it um that's brilliant to like probably... not only work but also like activate that creative side that you also need as yeah. a human and as a professional and yeah that was really as a facilitator as well because you, you it is a facilitation exercise and what you're you're doing in front of a small stage of one in a, in a bed in a, in a difficult surround totally and then talking about design and what we talked earlier it's like for me it's really people say oh you're too passionate about design but actually it's everywhere you know the empathy yeah clowning is also that you know you go into the room and you you, you look at the situation and the patient and you just adapt in function of what that context There's, is at that certain absolutely point. it's so, a human it's a human-centered design project Totally. So I'm like, oh. You're designing an experience. Totally. It's amazing. So um, that I've been doing, 
I've been raising a si. puppy and then like now, okay, <laughs> it's totally clear, I guess, also for people listening that design is my passion. It fits my personality and I want to keep on that. I have determined in the, I, I also mm. took the liberty to like reach out to people I didn't know. LinkedIn is a great medium to do that. That's also yeah. how we met, right, Jerry? Yeah. Like talk about your ideas you have and also as a designer, improve them and like test the truth that you think they have and hold and then mm -hmm. craft your, I'm crafting my next steps in what I want to do. And I think I want to keep on helping companies introducing really pragmatically user-centric yeah. design. But as I've only seen one company, I have like this urge to learn explore. and further deepen my craft, explore, go and see different companies, their challenges, and like exactly. keep on deepening the skills I have and the assumptions I have. And like in the end, maybe even because the Belgian design market is not as mature as the UK one or the American one. It's really still yeah. growing. There's this, or the Australian one. There's really the willingness to get more user-centric, but there's an absence of skill also in the market. If mm. you want to recruit people or find good designers, it's really, really difficult. So if one day it could even contribute to good schooling um, and yeah, leveling up the level of design schooling in Belgium, that would be like the cherry yeah, on the be, cake at the end of my career or something. <laughs> it, it's funny on the the whole kind of Flemish and the Belgian and the UK and the design maturity piece. Whenever I speak to people in Australia and I've, I speak to quite a lot of clients over there, they have an assumption that everything over in Europe is absolutely amazing. Yeah, really. <laughs> when I speak to people in America, they look at people in the UK and Central Europe and stuff, and they're going to go, "Oh, they've got it." And I've just come to to learn that you know different pockets of maturity in certain cities and states um, are really good, but there is opportunities out there. It's just really trying to trying to find them. It's it's quite difficult, no matter where you are. Um, but as 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 a side point, Australia is actually quite in my mind, further ahead than they give themselves credit for. Um, so if, if people are looking to get in touch with you, um, because hopefully this podcast opens up some conversations, maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever it is you find yourself hanging out when, you know, you're having a coffee. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Emily? Yeah, via LinkedIn, you can just uh, drop me a request for connection. My email is also um, mentioned in my profile, so I'm very reachable. Uh, yeah. My name is Emily Burke. Pronounce it again, yeah. Jerry. You did it so wonderfully. Emily Burke. <laughs> very good. I got it right, you see. Um, well, I'll put a link to both of those yeah. into the show notes. Um, and again, like you know, thanks for your... Thanks for your time and energy and sharing the story of embedding service design into a large organization. Because I know people out there who are going through it, they really value these kind of case studies on um, the difficulty so they can get some own insights on how to do it. Yeah, I could talk about hours on how we did it because we talked now a bit about the journey, but then, yeah, we really went deep in, in how you can do it qualitatively uh, and personalized for your company because I think there's no one size fits all. I had great Absolutely partners not. also yeah. and consultants that helped me. I didn't do it alone. Um, and and voila, you have to personalize your process. So I can talk about our, yeah. about that also. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Emily. Take care. Thank you, Jerry. Bye-bye. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. 
If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisis8cd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is 8CD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisis8cd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.